Good evening, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from James 1, verses 19 to 27, and thereafter followed by James 2, verses 8 to 17. First reading, James 1, verses 19 to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the, impart, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but the doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Second reading is from James 2, verses 8 to 17. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you, sh you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is the word of the Lord. That is my joy and delight uh, this evening to have with us Ashtikan Wong Tak Ming. He is the Ashtikan of Community Services. 
is a very vital and critical arm of our diocese. It is an expanding, growing, and very challenging ground as we go beyond the church into the community to bring people into the body of Christ. And we not only grow people coming to church, but also grow the church by reaching out to people who are out there, sometimes on the fringes of society. So it's my joy and delight that we do have the Archdeacon for Community Services, and today he's here in person to share with us more of his thoughts and how to inspire the church to reach out to the marginalized. So a warm welcome now, Archdeacon Wong. Hi, very good evening, everyone. You know, it's such a great joy for me to be here this evening for so many reasons. I'll share a few with you. One is, of course, I get to worship with my dear brother Gilbert and my brother Darren. We see each other at meetings, but it's wonderful to be able to worship together. In fact, uh, Pastor Gilbert and I, we, our office is in the same building in Simei. But you know, I feel even happier when I heard the Christmas uh, at the hilltop, is it? Christmas at the hilltop. You know why? Because I'm a part of the Fengshan community. <laughs> I live at the foot of the hill. So uh, I, I told Gilbert, uh, can I bring my mom no? <laughs> to uh, join you guys on the 23rd and 24th Christmas on the hilltop? Uh, and uh, I, I, I hope I'll be warmly welcomed <laughs> if I bring my mom. She's 89 years old only. <laughs> and she still has a great capacity for fun. And she has a great capacity for learning as well. So I am sure we're going to enjoy ourselves immensely. But you know, I was also so encouraged this evening by the set of songs that the worship team that she has chosen. I, I don't know whether you, you chose it uh, with certain instruction given to you or you're just led by the Spirit. You know, if you, if you notice the words of the song, all right, what, what is the common theme for all the songs this evening? Lift up your heads. What, what does it say? Lift up your heads to your gates, right? Let the, let who come in? Let the King of glory come in and forever be our God, right? The emphasis is on the King of glory. And uh, the, the other song again, praise forever to the King of kings. I don't know whether you realize it, but you know, this weekend is the last weekend of the church calendar. You know, the church does, calendar doesn't go from January to December. It goes from Advent, you know, uh, to the last Sunday of uh, the church calendar, which is the festival of Christ the King. So this weekend is Christ the King. This weekend is uh, our celebration that after Christ has done everything, He is not only raised from the dead, right, He's ascended on high, and not only He's ascended on high, but He's ruling over all creation. And first of all, He's ruling over those of us who call Him our Lord and Saviour. But one day, He will return. That's why from Christ the King, we go into Advent. And Advent is starting next weekend. And Advent is uh, leading up to Christmas, where we anticipate the coming of Christ. So when our anticipation is for Christmas, it's the first coming. But as we anticipate the first coming, we also anticipate His second coming. So today, praise be to God, we, we are able to celebrate the, the Feast of Christ the King. Even in our songs, they are chosen for us uh, to worship the Lord this evening. So, you know, today, uh, our... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know that uh, you're on a series uh, to look at the mission of the church, um, but I suppose when uh, Reverend Darren uh, invited me to share, uh, 
I understand that it has to do with the community services. And uh, that is certainly one of the areas of our mission. But it's not the only area. And I'm so encouraged to hear about the campus ministry. Uh, I, was a, I was also blessed by the campus ministry. Of course, not last month, like, <laughs> like, like 35 years ago, <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, in fact, uh, I was also very active in uh, crew, which at the time was called Campus Crusade for Christ. And the four spiritual laws is always in my pocket. And, you know, uh, in fact, it is thanks to crew that I met my wife, Ling Ling, who is here in the first row. Uh, because we both were involved in uh, Campus Crusade at that time, uh, and we attended many of these uh, evangelism, uh, leadership, discipleship training camps, and it was in one of those camps where both my wife and I, well, my, well I didn't know her at that time, she was from a different JC, uh, we attended a, an elective program on how to use music uh, as a tool for evangelism. Now, in those days, we never heard of music ministry, in those days, you know, it's just one guitar and then we jam, you know. But uh, through this uh, idea of uh, music evangelism uh, came a group which I, I formed. And then I, I, of course, I needed a pianist, so, you know, it's a good reason to ask this girl to join me. <laughs> and then she, later on, after our group disbanded, uh, I, and then she decided that she's willing to go out with me, and the rest is history. <laughs> but but it's uh, thanks to Campus Crusade that uh, we, we are together. And I, I believe that the discipleship more important than all the activities is the discipleship and the sense of calling that uh, we receive from the Lord through our involvement in campus ministry. Uh, and I remember very clearly because I just shared with someone who invited me for dinner last night that uh, after my A-levels, that's before even going to university, uh, I, through one of these uh, campus crusade camps, uh, the Lord just gave me this very clear idea that the most precious thing, the most valuable thing not only on earth, but in the whole universe, you take all the stars and everything in between combined together, the most precious things is not gold or silver. It's not even the so-called precious metals. It's the souls of you and me. The souls of human being, eternal, is so precious to God that He gave His Son to shed His blood, die on the cross, not to collect together all the gold and silver, but to bring back souls that are lost so that through Christ, through His blood shed on the cross, we may find our way back to God our Father. And, and that was with such clarity, thanks to ministries such as Crew, uh, 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 Varsity Christian Fellowship and so on, that uh, I came to that understanding. And even when I lost my way, I backslide, you know, so many things that happened in my life, but it is through the fellowship of brothers and sisters in campus that uh, nursed me back to spiritual health. So if you have backslidden before, I understand how you feel, okay? I backslidden before also, all right? And it doesn't mean that if you have backslidden that that's the end of your, you know, ministry or the end of your future in the Lord. No. Uh, sometimes when we fall, as, as the character says in the Batman movie, right? Master Bruce, why do we fall? You know? <laughs> and you know the, the answer, right? You fall so that you can learn to get up again. You fall, you are allowed to fall so that you learn that we can get up again. And God picked me up again through the campus ministry. So I want to put our hands together for our brother Chin and to anyone that's involved in campus ministry. Press on, keep up your good work. Praise be to God. But today I want to bring to you a, a message from uh, the letter of James. The letter of James. 
Now, uh, some people say that, you know, uh, Bible can be quite theoretical, can be quite theological, can be quite chim and all that, all right? If that's you, if that's what you think, then let me recommend you the book of James. The letter of James was written to the Christians who are under persecution. And when you're under persecution, there's no time for academic stuff. When you're under persecution, what they wanted to know is, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you differentiate true from false? How do you keep your faith alive? How do you prevent yourself from being corrupted by the world out there? How do you prevent yourself from falling asleep? These are the important things. So if you, if you want a book that's very practical, I highly recommend to you, study the book of James. Because it's written specifically for people like you, if you're looking for practical faith. Because our faith is not meant to be a faith that is for PhDs to understand. It's not a faith that uh, is meant for those that are so hyper-spiritual that can only be found in the mountain because they need to breathe the mountain air, you know, be close to God. No, our faith is meant to be lived out on earth, at sea level, in Fengshan, in Tampines, in wherever it may be, in school, at home, in the marketplace, in campus, you know. And even, if I may say, uh, you know, kind of making a plug for my own ministry, even in healthcare, even in the wards, in the nursing homes, in the psychiatric facility where people with mental illness are trying to recover from their illness where uh, Pastor Gilbert is uh, ministering. Our faith is meant to be lived out in these places. And, and that is why this book is so practical, because our faith is a living faith. And that's my title for this sermon this evening. What does it mean to have a living faith? What does it mean for our faith to be expressed in glowing works? First of all, why a living faith? I have a very simple reason for you. Our faith is a living faith because we worship a living Saviour. We're not worshipping somebody who lived and died and whose body cannot be found, you know, or whose body is uh, commemorated by whatever mountain or whatever, you know, artefact. The one that we are worshipping is alive today. And by God's grace, I think, who was it who's saying that the Lord is already here with us as we began the worship service he is alive and He is with us even now, sitting next to you. If you were to turn to your brother or your sister next to you, if there's any space between you, can you imagine Christ sitting in that space? Try, look left and right. <laughs> can you imagine Christ sitting in that space? It is biblical, you know. Matthew chapter 18, right? Where two or three, two, right? In between, right? If two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, there I am, where? In the midst of them. Where is in the midst? In the midst is in between. Huh? <laughs> in the midst, there I am in the midst of them. There I am. Not there I have been, there I used to be, there I was. All this is past tense. There I am in the midst of them. Ours is a living faith because we worship a living Saviour. But it is also a living faith because we serve a living King. Our king has not gone to sleep. He has not, you know, retired to his palace and is enjoying his own life out there. Our king is actively involved in his mission, which from the beginning of time until now remains the same, is to seek and save the lost. Where are the lost? The lost are in the HDB flats. The lost are in the library, <laughs> the campus. The lost are on the streets. The lost are in the migrant worker dormitories. Where are the laws? The laws are in different countries. The laws are also in our own country. So it's because we serve this living King, this living Saviour, 
then we've got to ask ourselves very seriously, what is our faith all about? What is our faith all about? Now, uh, okay, let me try to get this clicker working. Ah, okay. Right. Hey, no. Okay. Good. So let, let me share this with you. I came across this misunderstanding that uh, a number of Christians have. And I also had this mis misunderstanding before, many years ago, in my, in my own Christian journey. You know, I used to go around saying that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not a religion. It is a personal relationship. And of course, there's nothing wrong with the second part of the statement. Christianity is a personal relationship. There are many religions in the world, and I'm not going to say anything about other religions tonight, right? But our, our faith stands out as one that focuses on our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? But in the course of my, uh, my spiritual growth, you know, of course, I came across the four spiritual laws, all right? And I've used it, and I'm not saying anything bad about the four spiritual laws. But I want to say to you that for many years, I misunderstood the four spiritual laws. So when the four spiritual law says that uh, a man is trying to uh, establish a personal relationship with him through his own efforts such as good life, philosophy, and religion, but he inevitably fails. What this statement means, now I come to understand as I grew older, that philosophy by itself will not bring us to God. Good life by itself, or even good deeds by themselves, will not bring us to God. Religion by itself will not bring us to God. But I have made a misunderstanding that if it doesn't bring us to God, then uh, it is worthless. Then we must say that philosophy is also worthless, a good life is also worthless, which is not true, of course. We all have a philosophy in life, how we live our lives. We all want to, we all want to do good, we all want to live a good life. Nobody here wants to live a bad life, right? But we don't say that these are not important. And we don't say that Christianity has got nothing to do with a good life. We don't say that. But somehow along the way, we develop this kind of subtle misunderstanding that Christianity is not a religion, which is not true. Because the definition of a religion is as follows in the Oxford English Dictionary. It's any action or conduct indicating belief in, that's faith, obedience to, that's, that is uh, service, and reverence to, which is worship, to a God, maybe a personal God like Christ, or gods, there are religions with many gods, or similar superhuman power, whatever that may be, all right? And a performance of religious rites and observances. You know, the fact that we say the confession just now, right? It is a religious act because we believe it's something we should do. You know, during the COVID uh, season at the beginning, uh, 2020, 2021, in fact, until now, uh, uh, Darren, I think I've not been relieved of that job yet, I have been the COVID coordinator for the diocese. So if your church receives all this instruction about what church can do, cannot do, uh, okay, guilty as charged, it came from me. Uh, okay? <laughs> because I, I, I was appointed by the bishop to be the liaison officer with the government. To, and I asked them a ton of questions and try to understand what they mean. You know? And I also sat with a lot of pastors in chat groups, in meetings. Right? And uh, you know, one of the first things that we stumble over when we try to understand COVID, uh, because uh, MCCY issued this directive, you know, I say that uh, if, you, if your uh, religious service practices any religious rites, uh, then you have to uh, submit how you do it. All the pastors say, no lah, we don't have religious rites. We are not a religion, we are a relationship with Jesus. 
<laughs> no religious rights. <laughs> then, of course, everybody got very upset. And very, what are you, how can you call us religious rights? You know? Then I have to calmly, I try my best to be calm. Huh? <laughs> calmly explain to them. What they mean is Holy Communion. <laughs> what they mean is baptism. <laughs> what they mean is laying on of hands. And even bishop was no confirmation. Right? So, these, what we call religious rites, uh, we have kind of thrown, in, thrown out the language. Right? But the reality is that uh, we, we practice many things uh, which are important, which help us to understand spiritual truth. And the minute that you do it once and do it twice, if you do it a third time, it becomes a right. If there's a proper way to do it, then it becomes a right, you know, a, a, a way of doing things, all right? So we don't have to throw all that away because all these rites help us to concretize our faith. When we receive Holy Communion, we don't do it any old how, right? Because it is something sacred to us. We do it with respect. And we are, in a sense, educated in that way. So, Let's not worry so much about the word religion or religious rites uh, because even St. Paul, he referred to his own faith, which is the Jewish faith, which is the same faith as the Lord Jesus Christ practiced as our religion. Right? And, uh, but he admits that these religious observances by themselves, right, whether it is the Passover, whether it is the Feast of the Tabernacles or whatever it may be, right, by themselves, they do not stop us from sinning. It educates us about what God has done, about who God is. But by themselves, there is no power to stop us from sinning. That's why Christ came to forgive those sins. That's why Christ came and, and went back to the Father to give us the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to overcome the temptations. But it doesn't mean that these feasts are not valuable because they teach us many things. They teach us most of all about the holiness of God. So Paul also uses the word religion to describe the faith that uh, he inherited from his forefathers, which even our Lord Jesus Christ himself practiced. Of course, when it comes to James, since we are talking about James today, James distinguishes worthless religion. Worthless religion is when you talk about, oh, I believe in this and that, but you don't practice it. Or your life, your habits, the way you talk, you know, very insulting, very dirty, very offensive, right? If we say beautiful things in church, but the minute we get out of the church, we say nasty things. This is the kind of thing that Paul James calls worthless religion. That means the, the practice, the person's life, the practice, right? Whether it's a speaking or doing or whatever, the practice does not match the profession. You profess in the creed, you know, in the prayers that we pray, right? If it doesn't match, then James calls it worthless religion. But he also said there's such a thing as religion that is pure and undefiled. Not only pure and undefiled in human terms, but before God, our Father. This is talking about the Christian faith, right? So we want to understand uh, today, what is this Christianity that, what is this religion that is pure and undefiled applying to us as Christians, right? So what does that mean? I think there are a few things in the passages that sister read for us just now. And each one of these, they build up upon one another. The first thing is that if we are practicing our Christian faith, our Christian religion, in a way that is pure and undefiled before God our Father, first is we are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Okay, very simple words, right? 
but they are very profound in meaning. Quick to hear. Who are we quick to hear? The first is we need to be quick to hear the voice of God. We need to be quick to hear our Father speaking to us. And our Father doesn't speak to us only to scold us. No, that's our earthly Father. <laughs> our Father in heaven is quick to speak words of love to us. But He's also quick to give us instructions. He's also quick to give us wisdom. He's also quick to tell us this is the right path, this is the wrong path. But the question is, are we quick to listen? Are we quick to hear? So for, for us, for our faith to be pure and undefiled, we need to be quick to listen to God, but also to listen to one another. Usually fights break out or quarrels and conflicts arise, uh, not because people hate each other that much, but often because of misunderstanding. And, you know, in pastoral care, <laughs> you know, we often have to deal with people who have uh, tensions with each other. And you listen to A, you know, what does he mean? You listen to B, what does he want? Actually, both of them, very similar, you know. But why are they fighting? Because the way that A says it, uh, sounds like something offensive to B. And the way that B says it, sounds offensive to A. But actually, they are just triggered by certain words or by certain assumptions that they make. And they quickly jump to a conclusion, hey, hey, how can you say this? You know, and then they fight. Because they didn't really hear from the heart what the other person is saying. They hear what the other person did not say. So sometimes we are, we are quick to get angry and we are quick to fight back. You know? So the opposite. Religion or a Christian Christianity that is pure and undefiled is where we are quick to listen to God and to each other. And we are slow to speak. We pray. We digest. We consider. We reflect. Based on the word that God has put in our heart, we reflect. And, and we, we are slow. Not that we never get angry. If someone does something very wrong, right? You know, most of the time when I read the papers, I get very upset when I hear of child abuse. I, I, by the way, I'm also the guy who started the child protection thing in the diocese. <laughs> uh, That's kind of my passion, you know. So when I see children physically abused or were sexually abused or neglected, right, I get very angry. And there's right to be angry, right? But we don't be angry too quickly, lah, okay? But we think about why we are angry, why we should be angry, how to express our anger, right? So that's the first thing, how we listen to God and how we react, that's the first thing. Second thing is, we have to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This is the words of James. Keep ourselves unstained from the world. You know, one of the things as a Christian, uh, sometimes I wish, right, the minute that I'm saved, bring me to heaven. Uh, I don't have to walk on this earth. How many of you are with me? <laughs> when you walk on this earth, there's temptation. When you walk on this earth, you get hurt. When you walk on this earth, you suffer. Not by your fault, but other people did. I mean, come on, you know. Russia invade, invade Ukraine. Food prices go up in Singapore. Right? This is the, the world. And it's very easy when you experience the suffering from the world that we get angry because we forget the first sentence. La. <laughs> slow to speak, uh, quick, uh, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I, I also often get triggered. I become angry for the wrong reason. So while we are living in the world, we are not taken away from it. We are not of the world. Now, that's a big difference. While we are living in the world, 
we tell the, we, we must be able to distinguish the difference. This culture, this attitude, this uh, trend, right? Yeah, it's happening out there. But do we automatically follow? We have to first ask ourselves, is this the way of God or is this the way of the world? If this is the way of the world, we don't have to follow. If it's good, we can follow. If it's neutral, we can follow. But sometimes something neutral, you use it to the extreme, it can become worldly. Or you use it for the wrong purpose. The internet, the, the uh, handphone is very is neutral. It can be used for good or evil according to what values. So we are called to keep ourselves from being untainted, uh, keep ourselves untainted or uncorrupted, unstained by the world. So that we are in the world, but we are not of it. So we need to be thoughtful. Thirdly, we need to receive with meekness the word that's implanted in our heart. That's why in Christian faith, the, not only the weekend sermon is important, but the, the regular habit of reading the Word of God. And not only reading it, but making sure that it is implanted. That's a key word there, you know. You can hear, if you hear this way here and it goes out there, it's not implanted. You have been a Christian a long time, you know about the four types of soil. So that we want to be the kind of soil where the word that comes into our ears get planted into our heart and we cherish it, we rejoice in it and we surrender to it and we ask God to use His word to bring new life to us, to transform us, to change us from inside out. That's, that's what it means by receiving with meekness. Meekness means in a state of trust and surrender, not fighting, not resisting, not, you know, uh, always pushing back against the Word of God, then the Word doesn't take root. But when we receive it with meekness, even though we don't understand, in fact, this question has been debated for almost 2,000 years. Do you, under, do you have faith first, then you understand? Or you understand first, then you have faith? Today, in our enlightened world, right? We say, I must understand first. Lah. If I don't understand first, how can I believe? Where I get scammed how, you know? <laughs> because we are living in a world where people get scammed all the time, right? So the key is this. You get scammed by strangers. Will you get scammed by your own mother? Or those of you who are, ma your, who are mothers, will you scam your children? I mean, most of you won't. Uh, the ones that will, don't raise your hands. <laughs> but we know God is our Father, you see? So we can receive His Word with meekness without this tension and this uh, fear, you know, what if God scam us, you know, right? So we can receive it with trust. And when we receive it with trust, that's when the Word can grow in us. And when the Word grows in us, we not only receive the Word as a hearer, as someone who hears the Word, but we become a doer of the Word. Now, that's when true Christian life takes place. A person can be very knowledgeable in the Bible, Okay, I can tell you, there are good universities, not NTU. <laughs> there are good universities that have got departments of religion. NTU don't have, right? Departments of religion, where you have professors, PhDs, that study the Bible. They can quote chapter and verse. They can even talk about the same theology that Christian theologians from Trinity Theological College are studying. They can dialogue, but they don't believe. It's just an intellectual idea hearers of the word, debaters over the word. But do they do the word? Do they surrender to God? No. 
Not necessarily. It's just an intellectual subject. It's an intellectual exercise. Fun to uh, argue and debate and explore, right? But we're not called to be that. We are called to be people that receive the word as the word of life so that when we receive it and we do it, it transforms our life. And it not just transforms our life inside, but it transforms the people around us. Because when we respond to others, not with anger, not with selfishness, not with stinginess, but with generosity, with kindness, with grace, with welcome, like what we will do at Christmas, Christmas on the hilltop, right? That changes the whole community of Fengshan. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. So that's what it means to be doers of the word. And that is uh, another, the third hallmark of Christianity that is pure and undefiled. And of course, that has to be expressed, not only in terms of these big grand actions, you know, uh, festivals and worship and so on. But the real test of it is, what is our attitude towards people in need? So James says, this is true religion. When you visit orphans and widows in their affliction, when you show mercy to others, even though they don't deserve it, because mercy triumphs over judgment. They don't deserve it because of whatever reason, or they deserve something bad for whatever reason. But we give them something good instead. This is mercy. I'll tell you why this is true religion. Because this is what Jesus would do. If you are a true follower of Jesus, then you do what you're, what you're following Jesus to do. And this is what Jesus would do. He talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. Wow, the scandal, can you imagine? You know? It's not, not a reputable woman. But Jesus did it. This is mercy triumphing over judgment. He knows everything about her. Call your husband, I don't have. Oh yeah, true, you don't have. The one you have is number five. <laughs> Jesus knows. But Jesus didn't say that to condemn her. Jesus said that to let her know, actually I know, but I still reach out to you. I still welcome you. I still respect you. Now that is what it means to follow Jesus. If to be a true Christian, to be a true practitioner of the Christian religion means to be like Christ, not to be following certain rules or know when to bow, when to stand, how to cross your, you know, all that. These are just ex external. The real internal religion is whether the way we treat people is the way that Christ would treat people. Then you know this is our true religion. This is our religion because it's the religion of Christ. So this, this is the, uh, the important hallmark that I, I want to emphasize. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Pressing wrong button. <laughs> Got to try to get it back. Uh, okay, sorry. So this is essentially that the, the final hallmark, that the authenticity of our faith is shown in how we look after those who are less fortunate than us. Right? And, uh, but this looking after others that are not fortunate than us is not, about, is not a means to gain our salvation. We are saved, Paul says, we are saved, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. This is a verse I learned when I was with crew. Campus Creed for Christ, Ephesians 2, uh, verse 8 and 9, is by grace that you have been faith, you have been saved through faith. We're not saved through, by faith. We're saved by grace. It's God's grace that saves us. We receive it through faith. 
Faith is a channel by which we receive God's grace. It is not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, it's so clear, right? It's not that you visit more people at home, you'll be saved. This guy never, only visit one person, he will not be saved. No, it's not by works, so that no one can boast. But we often forget to read verse 10. Verse 8 and 9 say, it is not your good works that save you. But verse 10 says what? It says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. We are saved so that Christ can be in us. So that when Christ is in us, Christ can touch others through our good works. So we do the good works as, a re- as an act of obedience to Christ because Christ saves us and He uses us to touch the lives of others. And God has prepared these good works in advance for us to do. We don't have to do all the good work there is in the world. We don't have to meet every need there is in Singapore. You know, once a friend of mine came back from uh, the US after living there for a few years, and he t- said, oh, Anglican Community Services, wow, one of the biggest in Singapore. Uh, where are your soup kitchens? I say, uh, hey, give back your soup kitchen or not? <laughs> I say, sorry, my friend, we don't do soup kitchens in Anglican Community Services because God hasn't called us to do. But there are other people that do soup kitchens. There are other people that do homeless ministry. So actually, we did homeless for a short while during COVID. But that's not our main thing. Why? Because God has called each group of people to a different assignment. Because if we go everywhere hitting everything, we will never make any impact. Because certain things, you have to do it long enough before you can do it effectively. It's a process of learning. And it's also a a process of uh, relationship building. Because if we try to do everything, then it becomes touch and go. But if we receive an assignment to a certain group of people in a certain place, and we see them, you know, first time they may not accept you. Second time, they will talk to you. Third time, they welcome you into the house. Fourth time, you can share the gospel. So if you hop on to something else after the first, second time, you'll never get to the point where you can share the gospel. So this good works is prepared in advance. God has an assignment for every church, a different type of work, a different way in which Christ wants to impact the community through us, right? So that, so through that, as we walk in the good works that Christ has prepared for us, it demonstrates the reality of our faith. How do we know our faith is real? If it's real, there will be a manifestation of blessing the community. There will be a manifestation of love shown to others, not just as we hope that they will love us, eh? But love shown to others as Christ has loved us. It's a different kind of love. Christ loved us even though we don't deserve it. If you say love your neighbor as yourself, you know, you may only love them to a certain limit because you don't love yourself very much. You know? But if you say I love my neighbor as Christ has loved me, wow, that is the standard. It's a different standard. It's not according to what I think of myself. It's not according to how good my neighbor is to me. But the objective standard is what would Christ want? How would Christ want me to love? How has Christ loved me? By that standard, I am to love my neighbor. So this relationship between faith and works become very clear. It's not works that save us. It's faith. But if we have faith, then where is the fruits? Where is the evidence? The fruits is our works. Faith apart from works is dead. So this is the reason why uh, years ago, this is... You know, uh, next year will be our uh, 
if I'm not wrong, 120th anniversary of St. Andrew's Mission Hospital. This is the faith that founded St. Andrew's Mission Hospital when the first bishop of Singapore and his wife, who was a doctor, saw the women and children without health care and saw the cultural barriers, the Asian women would not see the doctors, even if it's available, because the doctors uh, are men. So Mrs. Bishop <laughs> happened to be a doctor who's a woman. So woman and woman, you know, the Asian women are willing to come and see her, and she treated them. And this is how St. Andrew's Mission Hospital started, lowering the barrier so that the love of Christ is not blocked. The love of Christ can go through and touch people where they have needs. So today, uh, our services cover five, pillar, five uh, what they call clusters, from medical, this is the oldest one, to uh, seniors. Uh, this is the one that uh, we're going to talk about in a short while. There's an opportunity coming to us here in All Saints. Uh, psychiatric, that's where uh, Pastor Gilbert has devoted his life to understanding and caring, helping people with mental illness to recover. I, I greatly encourage him. You know why? Because a long time ago, I learned the line between a person who is sane and unsane, sane and unsane, sane and insane, sorry, my language, sane and insane, is not as broad as this red carpet, you know. The line between sane and insane, oh, sorry, you're not the insane ones. It's just one thin line. And sometimes in our life, we drift, we drift, we drift, we drift, we drift very near the line. Eh? All it takes is one more crisis and you're on the other side of the line. There is no, no man's land like this red carpet. I've experienced it myself. Anxiety, wrong, uh, hurtful thinking, you know, psychosis, all these things, OCD, you know, all these things, right? Even suicide thoughts. That's why last Tuesday we had a seminar, very helpful. Uh, I think some of the pastors here also attended on how to recognize people who are having suicide thoughts and how can we help them, all right? So this psychiatric part is very important. In recent years, we went to the fourth area, which is uh, autism. And uh, uh, there's a whole big thing that's developed. And my wife is teaching at the St. Andrew's Autism School. We can talk more about that. But uh, family is also an important area. Because one of the saddest things, as I mentioned, is to see women and children uh, being abused, domestic violence. So we have a ministry in that area as well, right? So it is because of this faith that we have in the living Saviour. And because we are servants of the living King, right, that He has called us, that from our faith, our living faith in Him, it says, shine for me. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How do we shine? We don't just stand outside the church and sing songs. That's one way to shine. But if someone is hungry, that song is not going to fill their stomach. If someone is wounded, that, that song is not going to heal their wounds or whether it's the wound of the body or the wounds of their heart. So we need to take concrete actions. So these services are developed so that we can honestly and truly say that Christ's love never fails. And that love goes all the way to meeting the physical, emotional, and even spiritual needs of people in the community. Right? So, of course, as you do all this, uh, it is always costly and we thank God compared to other countries, uh, even our Malaysian counterparts, you know, when we get together in the province of Southeast Asia, uh, they always look to us, oh, you all do so much community services, you know, uh, where do you all find all the money? We have to tell them very honestly, actually, large part of it comes from the government. 
And I thank God that we have a government that cares for its people, that actually releases money for us to do the work which they know they can't do. Because this work needs to not only go down to the ground, but it has to come from the heart. Out there, heart is a very rare commodity. But we hope that from church, there will be plenty of heart because of our living faith in the Lord. So, uh, yes, although we have a lot of government subsidy, but often the government subsidy is just enough to provide a basic service. If you want to provide an excellent service, or you want to go beyond, or you want to try out some new initiatives, right? So usually these things, uh, we have to raise funds. So I want to give you an example. Uh, if you are considering giving to the professional work, one of our most needy areas is autism adults. We have a home for autism adults. Many of them have never been to special school because when they were young, there were no special schools in Singapore. Special schools is only a phenomenon of the last 20 years. So if they are 30 years old, it means they never went. Or if they are 40 years old, they completely missed out. So they are now unable to be cared for by their parents. Their parents are too old already to look after them. And they end up with us. And uh, the funding model that is uh, given to us in a contract is not sufficient for us to give them quality care. So it makes it difficult for us to uh, take in more people because the more people we take in, the more funds we have to raise. Because if we only care for them at the level of the funds given to us, there will be safety issues. There will be insufficient supervision because of their, uh, their struggles and their behaviour. So in order for us to do that, so we have to raise quite a bit of funds. So our main uh, professional work fundraising is for autism. And also the, the home plus the two day, day activity centres. So if you are considering uh, giving towards the professional services, the QR code on the left is for this purpose. And uh, uh, we, you can designate it towards autism if you wish. But there's another, another part which government will never give funding. And that's the spiritual work the chaplaincy work, which Pastor Gilbert and I, we are involved in. Because chaplaincy work, a significant part of it will be religious. And our government is a secular government. Uh, it takes an even-handed way to approach all the religions. So how do you have an even-handed approach for all religion? Do you give same amount of money to everybody? You will never, there will be no end to it. So bottom line is, anything to do with religion, government will give zero dollars. And even if you donate, you cannot get tax exemption because tax exemption is also at the expense of government income. So donation to anything religious, including our tithe and offerings, you know, you cannot claim back from an income tax. So similarly for chaplaincy, you cannot claim back from an income tax. So because of that, uh, we have to reach out. We cannot reach out to the public because religious fundraising cannot be public also. So we only reach out within the church we reach out to members and we thank God for the churches, the PCC and the ECC. And I thank God that uh, All Saints has been a fervent supporter. Uh, they write us a check every year, thanks to your tithe and offerings. Uh, that is the church's giving. But for those of you who feel that you want to give to support the spiritual work as well, uh, you are welcome to uh, use this UEN uh, to, uh, to give uh, electronically. But you have to indicate chaplaincy fund. Otherwise, I will not be able to use it to pay salaries. You will become uh, prof for professional. So uh, one opportunity is through giving. Uh, the other opportunity, which thanks be to God, I've been praying for this for a long time, uh, is to see whether there is some 
uh, outreach work that All Saints can be involved in. And we thank God this is something that has been developing for the last three, four years. There, there, have, there are now two uh, senior care centres, one in Bedok North, which is next to the bus terminus, next to Bedok Mall, and the other in Bedok South, which is uh, down this way. Uh, I'm not sure my direction is not very clear. Temasek Primary, near Temasek Primary, that's what my wife say, because she has a built-in GPS that's always on. <laughs> I don't. Uh, it's at what is called Bedok Horizon. And there's a little map of it here, but it's in Bedok South. And uh, you see the high-rise block, the podium block, the, I think it's on the level two. That's where the senior care centre will be. And it has got two sides to it. One is a senior activity, which is basically an outreach programme. And the outreach programme is essentially uh, to identify a number of blocks and then to get volunteers, aka yourselves, <laughs> if you kindly come and help us, to, first of all, you get training, what questions to ask, uh, how to respond, you know. And of course, when you first visit them, it is purely social work. You cannot straight away share the gospel because they don't know you, you don't know them. But we are doing this service, uh, first of all, to find out how are they. And if they are healthy, they are fit, you know, we invite them to come to programs in the centre. And this may be cooking, it may be calligraphy, maybe music, whatever. The whole idea is that you, if they keep healthy, they keep, if they keep active, they will stay healthy longer. So by helping them to stay active, we're actually extending their life, no? We're lifesavers. <laughs> because the more they don't move, the more they get, you know, stroke and all those things are coming earlier in their life. So the first move when we go is basically just to get to know them, invite them for activities. But second, when you meet them, you realise that there are some elderly that are completely neglected. Then you come back to the centre, you wave the red flag. And then the staff will go out and see what are their needs, and is it medical, is it financial, you know. And then the staff will take care of that. And then, of course, as you go back, not just once or twice, as you go month after month, you, know, you form a relationship with them. And they will know you, maybe even by name, you know, depending on how you organize yourself. In St. Hilda's, uh, Darren and I were in the same church, St. Hilda's, many years ago. Uh, we adopted basically how many blocks? Uh, Ten blocks or something. And uh, different cell groups adopted different blocks. We got to know the residents so well, they know you by name. <laughs> and we know them by name also. <laughs> and we call ourselves the red shirt. I don't know what shirt are we wearing, uh? Okay, but St. Hilda's call it red shirt, something like my brother here, you know. So they, wow, the minute they say, they see the red t-shirt, oh, angsa leliao, angsa leliao, you know. And it became so, we were so welcome that we were able to enter their homes. We became friends. And not only we begin by inviting them to cooking class, to music class, eventually we invited them to church also. And I'll tell you today, if you go to St. Hilda's church, the entire Hokkien service come from there. This is the power of friendship and the power of genuine love of a living faith flowing out. Then, of course, uh, some of them will need some of these uh, professional services that we refer to our own centre because you've got two half activity and care. So the activity is what you do. You just reach out at activities. And then those that need physio just recover from stroke. Then we re refer them, encourage them, you know, come for therapy, come for physio, right? And you can continue to uh, reach out to them in the center when they come for the activities. So this is uh, the opportunity that has come, and I thank God that it has moved uh, uh, prog uh, progressively. I think we are soon at the level of uh, 
conducting training, conducting staff recruitment, and uh, Pastor Darren uh, has already been appointed as a chaplain for this centre, honorary chaplain. Don't worry, he won't spend all his time here, uh, but he's honorary so that the centre recognise him, that he's the pastor that will uh, pray for them, that will get support from volunteers like yourself to support them. So this is the way in which the Anglican Church, uh, the Lord has given us this platform to live out our faith in a very real way. Our living faith is expressed in glowing works. These works are not to praise ourselves. These works are to let people experience the love of Christ. And if they say thank you, say, come say yes, yes, so thank, thank Jesus, because it's Jesus who, who is in me, asked me to come. It's not me, but it's Jesus. And I tell you, for some of them whom the Lord has called to belong to Him, this is the entry point. This is the last call. I remember last time when I was in campus ministry, we talked about the guys who are going to NS, and we say that, you know, military service for many, because of the danger that they face, you know, for some, it may be their last stop, but certainly for these old folks, it's very real, they're at the end of their life already. This may be their last opportunity to be loved by Christ and to respond to Christ by giving their life to Him. So this is our call and this is the conclusion of my sermon. Let us bear witness for Christ. Let, us, let others see our living faith at work through these ministries that God has given to us. And we remember that the level of love that we offer is not according to what people deserve, not according to what they respond to us. They may not respond initially, but through our persistence, our unconditional love, because our love is according to how much Christ loves us, not according to how interested you are, not according to whether you give me a drink or you shut the door on my face. I still love you because it is according to how Christ has loved us. As we do so, our ministry will bring people to the love of Christ. And this is my prayer for all of us that as Christ came, not to be served, but to serve and to be the ransom for many. And it's through serving that He showed us His love. I pray that the Lord will inspire us since we have been loved that we will also show His love to others by our serving. With that, may I invite you to bow with me for a word of prayer. just want to ask the Lord to speak to us and minister to us. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You came not to be served, but to serve. You came not to, not to take, but You came to give. And You gave not just of Your youth, not just of your time on earth, not just of your energy and of your talent, but you gave your very life. Thank you, Lord, for considering that my soul and my sister's soul and my brother's souls, the souls of all of us in this room, is so precious that it is worth God dying on the cross for us. And thank you, Lord, that you have called us and you have sent us and you said that there are, there are still other sheep that belong to this fold. They are still lost out there and they are just as precious as we are. And you want them to come home. Thank you for using us, Lord, to reach out to a small segment of those lost sheep 
We don't know who they are. We don't know their names. We don't know what conditions that we are, they are in. But you already know. And we may feel that we cannot do it. We are, we are afraid. We are untrained. But Lord, we are reminded today, it's not I but Christ in me. It's you loving them as you have loved us. So Father, we pray that you speak to us so that Lord, as we move forward, we move not by compulsion, we move not by guilt, we move as a privilege in response to what you have given to us. We cannot give back to you, Lord, but we can give it forward. We can pay it forward to other precious souls that you want to touch. So Lord, bless us, lead us, guide us so that you may be glorified in our life and may bring many people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.